Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we are talking about the problem with advisory fees. We're talking about why does the average wealth management client, why are they overpaying and why do they not even know what they're paying? Which is just mind boggling to us because of how substantial the fee is and how much of an impact it makes on your potential retirement. Uh, We'll talk about why, how that came to be, what the research shows, and then what even are your options? What is a reasonable amount of money to, uh, to pay for wealth management? So Justin, I think it's important we start with talking about really, right, like our experience with this, right? Because we have had multiple, whether it be clients or or potential clients, prospects, uh, who we've given a transparent price quote and a dollar value, and they have been shocked at the size of that number, only to learn that when we looked at the underlying holdings of their existing assets and their current advisory fee structure, they were paying substantially more than what we quoted them at which is just insane for for how big of a fee that is. But why do you think, Justin, why do you think that is? Why do you think so few people even know what they're paying? You know, I do think that uh, Wall Street has made fee structures a little bit opaque, a little bit hard to understand on purpose. If I take my personal experience, uh, so before starting Brownlee Wealth Management, I was a, a lead advisor at a really, really large brokerage institution. And if I just take my experience working with clients there, if I give a kind of a a percentage, like let's pretend there's 10 clients and we go through and and say, how many of these 10 understood the fees? Here's my breakdown and here's my experience with it. Uh, Michael Kitsis has done a lot of great research on this. And so there's tons of uh, different different polling and research that that tries to get to the heart of do people actually understand what they're paying? Um, But my personal experience is if you take 10 people one of them, one of those 10 is going to vividly know exactly in dollar terms what their all-in fee is. So their advisory fee, the underlying expense ratios, the weighted average of those across their entire portfolio. So let's pretend that they have a $4 million portfolio. Let's pretend that between advisory fee and the funds that their advisor puts them in, the all-in expenses are 1.1%. Maybe one out of 10 is going to clearly understand that they're paying $44,000 every year in investment fees. I think maybe two out of 10 are going to have a, a pretty decent idea. Okay, I'm paying somewhere around you know 1%-ish, and I understand that that's a lot of money. I think one or two out of 10 really have no idea, like, and like barely even know if they're being charged. Like It's just out of sight, out of mind. And then maybe five out of 10 know that there's some sort of fee. Uh, They remember talking about it at some point, but they have no earthly idea that if they have $4 million, they're being charged about $40,000 a year. And so that's my experience. And I think it's opaque on purpose. Um, But yeah, I I think a lot of that is is trying to trying to have a fee structure. And and most Wall Street firms have this where it's not it's kind of invisible and it's kind of off to the side. So it's never something that that's thought about on the client end. Yeah, 1% doesn't sound bad, but $44,000 does sound bad in your example, right? 
One free schedule requires a math equation. Uh, 1% sounds like such a small number, but when you actually do the math, it's substantial, right? But Justin, the thing you and I were talking about before we got on the call is like, the evidence supports this, right? This article just blows my mind. The, the, it was the one you showed me kind of early, soon after I came on board, but it was it's an older article from Jason Zweig, but it talks about a study, a survey that the SEC did. And what they found is asking investors about fees is kind of similar to your experience. A quarter of investors couldn't say whether they paid it or not. And 20% thought they didn't even pay a fee, right? So- kind of supports your evidence, but a substantial percentage of the population that was paying an advisor didn't even know that they were paying an advisor. And here's, I think the biggest travesty of that is if you're retired and you have your home paid off, like this could be your biggest line item expense in retirement, right? Like, And most people don't even know that it's an expense that they're paying, which is just mind boggling. The single biggest expense in your retirement is something you're not even aware of. Uh, which is just a crazy concept, and we need to, you know, ring the bell and just and and wave that flag because that's, you know, that's crazy to me. Great point. And so, yeah, let's start there real quick. So, you know, most of our clients are in energy in the energy space, coming from large energy companies. And I mean, if you just kind of work a career and you've got a pension and a four hundred one k and a stock plan, it's not out of this world. It's it's pretty likely that you're going to retire with somewhere around three, four million dollars. And if if you have two spouses that worked, it's I mean, it's really not unlikely to have six, seven, eight million dollars. Uh, and if one of you hit the VP plus level, then gosh, yeah, you might have 10 to 20 million plus. But think about the typical fee. So almost everybody, if you've got four million dollars, I mean, at the end of the day, you are probably paying forty thousand dollars a year in investment fees. And Jared, you just mentioned this worth highlighting, worth, you know, really understanding this. That is almost at, I mean, it's inevitably, it, it's got to be the highest expense in your budget in all of life. And so if you've got a $4 million portfolio and it's being professionally managed by anyone except a Vanguard, it is almost assuredly your most expensive cost in your life. And most people don't realize it. Yeah, which is just really insane. That's a Tesla model at model three with the tax credit every year. That's right. Every single year. It's a, in one thing I want to do before we kind of continue on, I want to just recite the exact surveys from this Wall Street Journal article. And so this is an article from 2019. Uh, and again, so it's a, a few years old, but it's such a, I mean, it made a huge splash when it broke. This is maybe my favorite article that's ever been written on conflicts of interest and excessive investment fees. We'll link to it in the show notes. That's right. Uh, I do think you'll need to have a Wall Street Journal subscription, but uh, I'm sure Jason Zweig will appreciate us highlighting some of this content. So here's what I want to highlight from the article. Okay, this first one's unbelievable, <laughs> Jared. So uh, households among households that own mutual funds, 22% said fees and expenses are not very important or not important at all. And I want to highlight that one first. Um, mutual funds, it's, it's pretty 101. So there is a, a perfect correlation among any research that's almost ever been done uh, that fees play a massively correlated role in your return. 
Uh, I mean, it's it's almost perfect if you have middle of the road fees, high fees, and then low fees. There's almost a perfect correlation that the low fees are going to perform best, the middle of the road fees are going to be in the middle, and the highest fees are going to have the hardest time producing outstanding returns. And so that's the first quote I want to um, highlight. And then the next survey is the one you mentioned. This was a survey done for the SEC. Investors were asked about six common types of fees. For all six types of fees, 25% of investors could not say whether they paid it or not. So six different types of fees, pretty common types of fees. About 25% had no idea for all six of them, across all six, um, just had no idea whether they were paying them at all. And then, Jared, the most uh, surprising one, 20% in this survey done for the SEC insisted that they weren't paying any fees at all. And they were paying fees, as we all uh, can imagine. And so that was wrong. Uh, But this article is just incredible because it highlights the incredible uh, uh, cliff between Wall Street's investment fees and what they really are and how much they are in actual real dollars every year. And then on the other side of of the cliff is just the everyday investor who has absolutely no idea how much they're paying and how much firms typically charge. Yeah. Like the fact that somebody somebody could pay hundreds of thousands of dollars unknowingly is unacceptable to me, quite frankly. But you know, it's like, like, like I like I go back to like, how is that even possible, right? And it kind of gets it touches alludes to something you said, right? Wall Street's engineered it that way, so you need to do a math equation to figure out what you're paying, and you know, it's just kind of it's kind of tucked away there in disclosures, right? But also. Something your article alluded to, six different types of fees. So to like get a clear picture of, okay, what do I actually pay? You're going to need to build an Excel spreadsheet, right? Because it's there, there's a lot of different ways that that people can get paid. Um, and Justin, we haven't even talked about you know double dipping there. We could talk about types of fees now because like really there's six types of fees, but I think transaction fees are lesser. Um, uh, but you, you know, there could be transaction fees every time you place a trade, but that's in the tens of dollars usually. Uh, but I want to camp out on the two big ones. Uh, we'll talk about advisory fees and, and expense ratios. Justin, you want to break those down for us? Yes. So again, let's use a quick example. Let's say that you have $3 million and you want it professionally managed. The two fees that you need to be aware of, number one is an advisory fee. So let's say that you hire a massive uh, bank X to manage your money. Massive bank X is probably going to charge you an advisory fee. And typically that's 1% per year. Now, uh, when I say 1%, your first million, you're often charged 1.25 or 1.5%. And then on the next 2 million, maybe 1% or 0.9. So as you invest more money, you, you typically have a better fee common weighted average for 3 million is about 0.9 to 1%. So an advisory fee of 27 to $30,000 every year. So that's fee number one. Fee number two is whatever, uh, in my example, I just said mega bank X, um, whatever the mega bank who's managing your money, whatever funds or investments they put you into, Um, So they've got their advisory fee, number one, but number two is the expenses associated with whatever investments they pick. Um, And so if if they pick maybe 400 different random stocks in in the world, 
Uh, well, there may not be any fee associated with those other than trading costs, but hopefully those trading costs are free uh, since most brokerage platforms trade for free these days. But if there is an ETF, all of those ETFs would have expense ratios. Mutual funds, all of those have expense ratios uh, and so on and so forth. Um, Jared, what would you add to that? Those are really the two big fees. So you need to aggregate those. Um, and like, I would say like, okay, like a, a, you're probably asking at this point, like, okay, that already seems like too many fees, right? But I, I think it's good to delineate services, right? So uh, advisory fee should be for comprehensive financial planning, which is, okay, do I have enough to retire? Is my tax situation optimal? Um, am I optimizing my company benefits? Is my invest or inve my investments lined up with my estate plan? Am I, am I okay from an insurance perspective? Uh, is there any money or opportunities I'm leaving on the table, right? Those are questions that, you know, a financial planner can ask. Investment management is okay. You know, a basket of funds being allocated in a way and managed professionally. So those are, you know, those two fees make sense because they're really two different services. It's definitely worthwhile to pay for each of those. And the question, you know, there's a question of value. How much am I paying and what am I getting that we'll probably talk about a little later on the podcast, but both of those make sense, but where it gets squirrely is uh, double dipping. Justin, you want to talk about that and fee only and how that kind of muddles, how it creates a weird incentive to, to jack, up, uh, jack up some of those numbers? That's right. And so when you think about the types of investment advice you can receive, uh, you can hire an advisor who is fee only. And you may have heard of that term. We've talked about it here, but you may have heard of it simply because there's been a massive campaign. I mean, if you Google at all how to hire a financial advisor, uh, should I hire company XYZ? If you spend any time researching on Google um, how to get financial advice, you're, you're probably going to learn really quick that you want a fee-only advisor. The reason for that is a fee-only advisor can help avoid some of these excessive fees uh, because a fee-only advisor does not have any commissions or kickbacks being paid. So uh, when you think about the term double dipping, if you work with a uh, firm who is not fee only, so this would be fee based or duly registered or a hybrid firm and almost every nationwide brand that you've heard of in the financial services space is this. So unfortunately, almost every nationwide uh, brand, whether it's uh, a brokerage house, insurance company, they are duly registered, they're hybrid. So that means that they can charge an advisory fee. So fee-only firms also charge an advisory fee. But the second fee is where it gets tricky. And that's where double dipping comes into play. So if you're at Mega Bank X and you pay them an advisory fee, well, like I mentioned, you also have to pay the expense ratio for whatever funds they put you in. Now, the tricky part is they can actually receive commissions and kickbacks from mutual fund companies. So mutual fund companies can pay Megabank X to put their clients in their mutual funds. So if you're at a really large institution and you look at your statement, maybe you've got 20 different positions with 20 different funds. You know, it's worth asking, what, why do I have these funds? right? What, why are these 20 funds the ones that were picked for me? Is it, is it because they're the 20 best funds in the world for me? Or is it because my company was paid a kickback by the uh, mutual fund company that provides these, these different funds? And that's why those ended up in my portfolio. And so you want to be careful to make sure that, hey, if I'm going to pay for professional management, Paying an advisory fee makes sense, but you don't want to pay an advisory fee and then have this second fee that isn't really, I mean, it's barely disclosed. You've got to do 
I mean, about 20, 30 minutes of research in order to even figure out how much it is. Uh, and it can end up being tens of thousands of dollars every year. And, and a lot of people just don't even know it's there. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, the kind of the reoccurring theme here is right. Like what, like value is like really kind of part two of this conversation. Like the first part is like understanding the awareness and the potential conflicts of interest, but like first part, how much are you paying and yeah. what are the conflicts involved? Yeah. Like, it, like it, if you were to do one thing, it would be to figure out, okay, how much am I paying? And then, you know, we could have another conversation of like, okay, what is that? What is that worth? What are the other options in the marketplace? And I think we'll touch on that just a little bit here at the end, but that's really the one call to action is don't be like a lot of investors who have no idea uh, what they're paying. But then Justin, you're kind of what you're talking about a step two of like understanding the incentive structures of people charging said fees. Cause you know, it's exactly right. Like if you sit, you know, if your advisor gets a kickback to sell you a product, that's 99% identical to another product you could get on the marketplace, but they get a kickback on one and not the other. You know, there's a decent chance you'd hope they do the right thing, but they have an incentive not to. So it's funny you say that the Wall Street Journal article that we're going to cite in this, uh, Jason Zweig has an entire section on that, on conflicts of interest. And, you know, he thinks that his hypothesis is that most humans kind of assume that they themselves, so humans view themselves as ethical and competent. And so because most people view themselves as ethical and competent, we fail to understand just how widespread and harmful an advisor's conflicts of interest can be. And so just because, you know, you kind of assume, well, most people are ethical and competent. The problem is if they're in an incentive structure that pays them like 20 times more to do action A instead of action B, well, Unfortunately, if action B is really what's in your best interest, it's going to be an enormous obstacle for an advisor at a hybrid duly registered firm to do the right thing. In many cases, they're just flat out not getting paid remotely close to the same amount um, for doing what's in your best interest if it if that's how it shakes out. But even more powerful than that is like if that person was a moral crusader that had conviction against that, they would probably still be getting sales pressure from management to do that. You know, so even if the person was like, Hey, I don't, you know, I think it could be done a better way. Right. There's, there's an institutional, uh, there's an institutional fly in the ointment, if you will. That's such an incredible point. And I think the end result of this is we wrote an article about a year or two ago. Uh, and basically the article is the history behind why hiring financial advice is such a convoluted, difficult process. Um, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but I mean, Jared, you know, as well as I do, if you are like a moral crusader and you're at one of these firms, well, what's your natural next step over a year or two year process going to be? If, if there's pressure on you to do something that you think is not in the client's best interest, what are you probably going to do? You're going to hit the eject button and do something. You're going to leave. You, yeah. And you're going to join a fee only firm or you're going to start your own fee only firm. And uh, that's the interesting thing that's happened in droves. And so, I mean, on a weekly basis, there are just enormous number of financial advisors that are leaving institutions that are hybrid or duly registered and joining fee-only firms, or a ton of them are starting their own, their own fee-only firms. And so it's created this, and part of the reason behind that is it's so much more possible and economical to start a business today than it was 20, 30 years ago, thanks to technology, thanks to a, a ton of different reasons. And so the end result of that is if you're a consumer, 
Well, you've got a really tricky predicament on your plate. Uh, If you want financial advice, you're probably going to go to Google and you're going to start to kind of research, how do I make this decision? And you're going to immediately see, okay, I need a fee-only advisor. Then you're going to search for fee-only advisors and you're basically not going to find any nationwide brands that you're familiar with. And you're going to now have to vet 12 small firms. It's a lot to handle. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, dilemma that the current marketplace has produced. Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of a good next place to take this conversation. Um, so, right. So problems abundantly clear. It's expensive. It's probably more expensive than it needs to be. And nobody knows because it's hidden. So find out. But assuming somebody's found out, right, and they get to the spot that you've said, right, even within fee-only firms, right, some may have expense ratios of 1% and an advisory fee of 1%, and that's 2%. Or some may have a, you know, 50 basis points on each, which is 1%, so half the cost. So even within the fee-only community, there's a lot of variety in price, right? Like, how do you think about value there? And like, some people are probably listening to this and saying, tens of thousands of dollars a year, there's no way I'd ever pay any amount of money, right? We talked about the DIY investor a few episodes ago, that person probably hears that. How would you think about, you know, beginning to quantify like value and what it's worth once you become aware that, hey, here's what I'm paying. What do you do do with that information? Jared, is it okay with you if I just give first 30 seconds a Michael Kitsis rundown of portfolio value in the associated fee that goes along with that? Go for it. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, we're trying to cover two questions. Number one is how much are you paying for investment advice? Number two is what are you getting in return? So to to finish up, put a bow on number one, how much are you paying? This, this research is from Michael Kitsis. We'll uh, put this in the show notes. So this is median all in fees of financial advisors by, by portfolio size. Okay. So If you have got a million dollars, the median all-in fee is one and a half percent. So on a million dollars, one and a half percent. That is how much, Jared? 15K. $15,000 every year if you have a million dollars managed. At two million, the pricing gets a little bit better. It goes down a little bit. It's 1.4%. And so we were at 1.5 at 1 million. Now we're at 1.4 at 3 million. And actually, let's just take it to 5 million. Uh, we're at 1.3% is the median all-in fee. So that's advisory fee plus expense ratios. And they, he's got them delineated. You can see the picture in the show notes if you'd like. But uh, 1.3% on a $5 million portfolio, that's $65,000 a year. And even if you're just having a million dollars managed, uh, that is 1.5%. That is $15,000 a year. And so again, number one, how much are you paying? Really important to just understand this. $15,000 is a lot. Now we can go into uh, your question, Jared. What exactly are we getting? Um, and what, if you don't mind me asking, what was that question again? Yeah, no. So like assuming where do you go from here, right? It really is like, okay, so I got, I got the information. I know what I'm paying. Is it a lot? Is it a little? How do I determine value, right? Like should I ever, is it ever worth paying $10,000? Like, where do I go from here? Like, assuming I've done the work of figuring out what I pay, how do I, how, how do I figure out what it's worth? And if I'm paying too much? Yeah. And so what are you getting? What value are you getting in return? I mean, I think there's a couple thoughts here and you know, it's, 
it, some things are very quantifiable. There should be some measure, and I'm not, I'm not totally sure exactly what it is, but there should be some quantifiable value when you sit down with an advisor you're interviewing. You should have a general idea. Hey, I am going to get this help on my tax planning um, part of my financial plan, on the estate planning, on insurance, on retirement planning. You should have some sort of idea there. On the investment front, it can be hard to quantify. But there's a really, really big difference between making, you know, dozens of good, small decisions in your investment portfolio over a 20 year time period. There's a mountain of different difference between doing that versus making some mistakes over a 20 year period. And for some people, I mean, it's it's just there's there's a massive gap there and it's worth millions and millions of dollars to make sure that sound decisions following an academic process are followed. Jared, what would you add there? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really add anything. But I like. I guess the the only thing I would say is right. Like the. I think the value can be there because the consequences of being wrong are significant, right? If you deplete, if you deplete a portfolio in a tax inefficient way, or create an unknown tax liability, or do it in error where it creates a penalty, or there's a strategy that would have saved you a lot, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on taxes or save your beneficiaries on that, right? Like the consequences are significant, right? Of, of misplanning and your scope of expertise, you know, you can get answers to your questions, but if you have $5 million and a bunch of different tax registrations, there's probably a bunch of different questions you should be asking that you're not asking because you're not in the profession, right? So I would definitely say, you know, if you have three to $5 million, you have enough complexity to warrant, you know, having a conversation with a trusted advisor. And on the asset management side, right, there's a lot of research that talks about the behavior gap where the average investor kind of underperforms any benchmark they seek to track because of, you know, trading and mismanagement of their money. Um, and so having a thoughtful investment plan and allocation, definitely another thing that's worth paying for. That's really easy to get, right? There's a, there's robo advisors out there like, uh, Vanguard has a, has a, you know, you can get automated investment management for, 0.3%. Yeah. Oh, so, maybe even without a CFP, maybe that's it. But yeah, yeah you can get a CFP by phone uh, in a good diversified portfolio for 0.3% instead of 1%. So, you know, it's a third of the fee, but still in the tens of thousands of dollars range for uh Yeah, for a $5 million portfolio, that's still $15,000. Yeah. We run an advisory firm, so we're biased, but we built a business and we believe that we can add value in tax planning, managing tax brackets, understanding the client situation, optimizing benefits, uh, considering all that. So, Well, and Jared, I, you, you mentioned something that I want to highlight. I think it's really simple. Um, so how much are you paying is important, but what are you getting in return? Are you getting value? And to determine whether or not you're getting enough value, I mean, the rubric for me is I think once your income hits a really high level and or once your assets hit a really high level, there are usually enough financial planning opportunities to make the fee worth paying. And so I don't, you know, it's tough to say exactly what that is. Uh, if you have literally no idea what you're doing at all with a bucket of money, well, there's probably going to be value even, you know, before you hit a million, two million, three million dollars. But as assets go into the one, two, three million plus range, there's a lot of things in your financial plan that change. There's a lot in your tax return that can change. Um, and certainly when you go four or five, six million plus, 
all the more so. And then as you approach 10 million, you probably need to assume that you have a taxable estate at some point if legislation changes and you live long enough. And so that's how I view it. It's as income goes up and as assets go up, complexity goes up on a pretty in a pretty big way. And financial planning makes a big difference when that happens. Yeah. So I think, right, the idea is awareness, but like like call to action, if you have an existing advisor, figure out, okay, what am I paying? And then think through what am I getting, right? So we delineated, there's, there's investment management and financial planning. If you're paying 1% for just investment management, you're probably overpaying. If you're paying less than 1% by getting investment management and financial planning, that's probably a big, big deal. But what do, what do you mean by financial planning, right? Question, has your advisor reviewed your tax return? Have they asked for any ancillary estate planning documents? Have they brought any suggestions to you that have materially impacted your tax accumulation or decumulation picture? You know, are they, are there, is there any proactive communication? Have they recommended any strategies? Uh, how often do you meet? Are they available? Do they add value? Right? Like, and, and these are much tougher things to quantify, but just questions you can begin to ask yourself when you think about, okay, what am I paying and what am I getting? Yeah. And you know, this is probably a good time to um, publicize another Wall Street Journal article. And this one was also published on Jason Zweig's personal website, the 19 questions you should ask your financial advisor. Really helpful rubric. Uh, And the fact that you need to ask 19 questions kind of gets to the heart of how difficult it is to navigate fee only hybrid firms and how do you make the right decision um, with financial advice? Yeah. We are a big believer that costs matters, but value is more important, right? Our fee schedule is clearly stated on our website. We feel like we're a great deal, but we're definitely not the cheapest option. It's all about thinking about value, right? But but our, our main goal here wasn't to get you to you know decide on a fee schedule. It was really just get people to take the next step forward, which is identifying that Wall Street is not as philanthropic as some people think it is. And they're probably paying you more and it's a lot, and you're going to need to do some math to figure it out but it's worth it because it's a material amount of money and can make a huge difference in you and your family's financial future. So you owe it to yourself to, uh, to look under the hood and figure out what you're paying. Anything else, Justin? I think that covers it. Understand what you're paying, understand what value is at stake there. Yeah. And if your investment statement is as confusing as a lot of them that we see are, shoot us a message. We're happy to take a look just, and just, you know, no obligation We'll tell you exactly what you're paying and all the ways that you're, that, uh, or some of the ways your advisor is getting compensated, co- compensated. We do this professionally and still may not be able to uncover it, but we're happy to take a look and give you any insight we have. We always love hearing from listeners for ideas for future podcasts. Uh, or if you want to be a potential guest on the podcast, we love having thoughtful dialogue with people in the profession. I was going to say, Jared, I think this is, I think this is the first time you and I have been on the podcast in months now. We have had a bunch of guests recently. Yeah, that's good to it's be great. Back. We, we love, it's good to be back. Um, and, but yeah, we're always looking for good guests. So feedback, guest, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.